Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good afternoon. My name is Jose Vigera. I am the president and CEO of O3 Mining. We have uh, two very important projects in Quebec, Marvan and Alpha. We have over 3.9 million ounces in Valdor, one of the most exquisite areas for mining that you can choose in the world. And we're moving a project like Marvan towards production by 2026. We have a lot of potential with regards to our resource and how we can increase the amount of resources that we have, increase the amount of value for our shareholders, and certainly see uh, a lot of success with our company. Brilliant. Jose, good to see you again. Are you well? Where in the world are you? I am doing uh, very well, and uh, we finally got everyone uh, vaccinated, so we're one step ahead and trying to start to have uh, a more normal life, if, uh, if we may say. Fantastic, fantastic. Hey, look, um, we spoke back in middle of March. I really enjoyed the conversation, actually, and, and the way you, you're going about it. But I kind of left with a few questions, which I wish I'd asked. And you know, I'd like to go through a sort of process now with you. One, partially to remind people watching this of this, the bits of the story, but two, kind of hone in on what's important. Because, again, there was a lot of sort of moving parts to what you've um, got. So if you, if you don't mind, let's, let's, have a, let's have a romp through that. Um, let me start with Marban. Um, you laid out the plan for me last time. You, you've mentioned when, the, when you're looking to get into production 2026-ish, but, and you've got whatever it is, it's sort of um, 2.5 million ounces, you know, just over a gram, 1.16 grams. So remind us how you're coming out that project, if you don't mind. Yeah, Marvan is going really well. Um, we have a very uh, strategic plan for Marvan, and the plan is very simple. We have already two-thirds of our resources in measure and indicated category, which is the highest category that we have in terms of resources. And as you know, and if you don't know, I will tell you, if you have a mine plan, then those resources move to the reserves category. So we move from probable to proven and we move measure and indicated to the same categories on the uh, on the reserve side of things. So we really have to convert only one third of those resources to be able to move from PEA level to pre-fees level. In the meantime, we're also expanding the resources around the pits. And why is that important for different reasons? The first one, because we increase resources. The second one, because we can improve the engineering of that. Suddenly, the slopes that we will have in the pits can be either a little bit zipper or we can open them up. So that allow us to work with the strip ratios. So that could make ourselves a little bit more efficient with our mining uh, scenarios. So our plan is very simple, is uh, a plan to invest around $256 million in terms of CapEx and put this into production by 26 by 2026. And uh, as, as we explained before, right now, we are in the process of working on the different avenues to bring this to a pre-feasibility study, subsequently to feasibility and into production by 2026. Right. So that's the game that all CEOs talk. So you've just done a PA, you're going to work on the PFS, you've got a lot of money you're going to throw at drilling um, to, to expand this resource, which is, well, one, bring the uh, inferred into the M&I category, which is great, um, and obviously, hopefully expand it, say, with a little bit of expansion drilling. 
To to what are you are you serious about getting into production? Six, eight, five, six years. It's just so long away. People, your the difficulty you have during that process is keeping people interested in your story, right? Because it's just more drilling after more drilling, more drilling, you know. And you you go through the study phases, and they're kind of a little bit boring in a way. There's no there's no sex and sizzle. So, aren't you better just to set yourself up to be taken out by one of the big majors nearby? Well, by by doing the right things, you are potentially going to be taken over by someone. Uh, by just trying to dress the bride, you're not going to get anywhere because people know you are not serious. So the first thing we have to do is to maximize value to our shareholders. And by that is by doing what we can control. What we can control is to take this company or this project, at least in particular Marvan, to a bigger project and to take it into production. And that has certain steps. And we have to follow those steps. It is what it is. And we can show that this is much larger much bigger and with more value than what it is right now being shown at a very conservative value of $1,440 per ounce, which at this value of gold, we are getting a net present value of around $423 million at a 5% discount rate. Now, this is what we can control. What we cannot control is that by doing the proper things at some point in this process, by doing the right things, we could have a Canadian Malartic or El Dorado or, or West Dome or anyone else uh, taking us over for the good job that we're doing. So at the end, being taken over in a sense is kind of a price for doing the good things. And they may decide to take that price earlier or later. And it's our job to do this work properly. And, and that's where we're focused. We're focusing on fundamental value. To that point of fundamental value, I want to bring something into the equation, which is very important. There are many projects right now in the world, in Ghana, in the States, where there is a lot of drilling. And they say, this is going to be this big, it's huge, and we're going to be raising $60 million, and we're going to build a humongous project. And they have zero resources. They have not shown anything. Here you have a company that we actually bought a project that already has invested. There's a sunk cost there of over $60 million. And this company is worth $150 million today. So we're talking about $60 million in sunk cost. We have over $140 million in cash. And you, on top of that, has a project that at some point Agnico tried to take it from us for $25 million. So from a fundamental value standpoint of view, this is uh, an opportunity at O3 with a value proposition that is very solid. Now, we talked about that last time. We talked about fundamental value based on economics, right? You, but the other phrase I quite liked was you said, we need to make this defensible. Now, Two things. You need to make it defensible from takeover at the wrong time, i.e. when you haven't got the valuation you want, because the prize is obviously someone taking this over, but at the right price. And the other thing you've got to make it defensible from is the market conditions. You know, you've got a kind of wobbly market out there at the moment if you look at uh, commodities. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit tricky. So you're, co you're cognizant of what's going on out there, aren't you? Absolutely. The, the, the markets are going to do what the markets are going to do. I mean, we cannot control the markets. What we can control is what we do. So what we can control is to be very systematic in our drilling. What we can control are the predictions with regards to increasing resources. 
what we can control is the money being spent. What we can control is the capital allocation and the return on capital. And uh, and yes, sometimes it may look like, hey guys, you're drilling a lot and I don't see a resource and, uh, and I don't see results. Well, sometimes the results takes time. But by being systematic and not getting distracted by the market, we will get paid. This is, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. If we think that this is going to be a sprint, this is not the company to invest. This is a company that will give you a lot of value. But you have to focus on the fundamentals and trust on the work that we're doing. We, we know what we're doing. We're being very systematic in our drilling. You will have a payback. A lot of generalists coming into the marketplace. We've seen them come over from the tax space. We've seen people get a little bit excited in, in the Bitcoin space. And so a lot of generalists don't necessarily understand mining. They're looking at this and going, 1.16 gram per ton. That's not exciting. I'm going to go for some sexy high-grade thing because that's obviously going to make me more money, isn't it? Such. Are you, are you worried about I, that? Because I think that's a real, I think it's real, I kind of saw, you, know, you and I can smile about it because we understand, but people looking at this, this story going, ah, oh, it's 140, 150 million market caps, got all this low grade stuff and all of these answers, it doesn't mean anything. It, 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 these aren't, these type of companies don't, aren't successful. It is, it is certainly a great comment. And I think it is on us to explain to our own investors that there are methods to calculate the valuation of these different companies. And one of them, for sure, is discounted cash flow. And you can do a DCF either with a very high-grade deposit or you can do it with not a high-grade deposit. At the end, this is a matter of creating cash flow, not a matter of if it has more high-grade or lower-grade. Uh, by that principle, Canadian Malartic would have never been built and yet Canadian Malartic today has been producing over 500,000 ounces of gold per year. It's probably the jewel of a crown for Yamana and Nico. It's printing money every other month or every month, really. And, uh, and if we think about it, in the history of mining, open pitable deposits has been, in many cases, more efficient and has created more cash flow than those ones that has been uh, high grade, although there has been very successful high grade mines such as Red Lake and Hemlo and, and all those ones that, I mean, we, we all want to have one of those, but I would not mind having a, a, a Marvan um, uh, or a Malartic or a Yanacocha. I mean, those deposits at the end uh, are just different style. And, uh, and I still believe that what we need is to get generalists to understand that this is no different than any other business. You still have to do a discounted free cash flow to make sure that your NPV at the end makes money. Okay. When we spoke last time, you had just over 62 million bucks in cash. You also had, uh, I think the number was over 75 million investments as well. So in terms of liquid uh, available cash, um, there's a big chunk there, certainly in relation to your market cap, I, I, I think. Um, you talked about it being 50-50 split between, um, you know, Marban and Alpha. Just again, remind me what, how much precisely uh, are you going to be spending on uh, Marban over the next 
say, couple of years? What, you know, when do we get to the point where you know you get a feasibility study? I know we've got to do pre-fees now, but can we accelerate through this process? When what's the whole? Why why is it five or six years away? Well, per- permitting takes time, and uh, and and it takes what it takes, unfortunately, because you need uh, a year of the four different seasons that needs to be uh, addressed. So you need to do winter, autumn, spring, and uh, and summer. And in order to collect samples from flora and fauna, you need to collect samples from water as well. And uh, subsequently to that, you you start the permitting. Uh, because our project is a project that will be producing more than 10,000 tons per day, then we have to go not only provincial, but federal. And that takes a little bit longer even. And uh, and then from that point on, you need to construct the mine for a year. So then what, what we say is that to feel comfortable, we will be out by 2026 putting the first coal bar. Um, you know, I can I can certainly say, yeah, can we be more aggressive? Yes, of course. But, but then I don't accomplish that. I, I, I'd rather just be very serious and tell our investors, listen, this is the time it's going to take. We're being very systematic. These deposits are going to be larger, are going to be bigger, are going to be much better. And as we keep moving these projects from stage to stage, you will be an advancement not only in the fundamental value of the project, but on the upside of this. And that's where I think this is a value proposition that we have. This is a project or a company that has the downside very well mitigated and has opened the upside to skies. And that's, I think, what we really need to allow our investors to understand. So, so come back to this defensible position thing, because you're, you're obviously, you, you, you clearly want to base this on fundamental value. You wanna, you, you're cautious about the way that you go about this. You've taken money when it was there, which, by the way, I agree. With, as a banker, ex-banker, I, I, I agree with that stance, because you're not always... You know, sure if it's going to be there. Um, how, how are you looking at that cash position at the moment? So let's say we're like 62 million bucks in cash. You talked about 50-50 allocation between the two projects, but how much are you keeping reserve in, in, in the back pocket to make sure this is defensible from the market, not necessarily from M&A? Well, we always want to have two years of, uh, of cash to be organizing our in our expenditures and and where we were where we want to be in the next two years so we have right now guaranteed those two years we don't have any urgency of having to go to the market so going to for example that allowed us for example not to be raising money right now where we are at the bottom and will allow us if we have to raise the money in the next two years to do it at a better time so that gives you flexibility uh, also give you the the alternatives to move things around. But at this point, we have a plan for the next 24 months uh, that we're planning to execute on expenditures on 50 and 50 in the case of Margon and Alpha at a rate of $25 million per year. Um, and that, of course, allow us to be very, very comfortable. I mean, right now, we do have uh, money in stocks that can be sold at, at any time. Uh, we don't need to do that right now because I think that we have to focus on, on, on our core value, but uh, there is an alternative. There. And, and, and more important, uh, what we have in stock, which we do not intend to sell, is our position in, uh, in Moneta Porcupine. And that is, I think, uh, a very 
important stake that we have in a company that also has a, a huge potential to grow and we will you know we will run with them as as, as we go so if you take if you take that position it's about 75 million bucks worth of position right yeah. pretty, pretty pretty punchy right in relation to your capex today it tells you what people are valuing your assets at right which which seems ridiculously low for what you, what you put on the table um yes yeah so so that must frustrate you uh quite a bit uh but at the same time i think these are the moments where we have to be strong and patient because we know that what we're doing is the proper thing to do uh we have seen that with major companies uh, we have seen that with Agnico being prudent in their expenditure and not getting crazy when things are difficult. We have seen that with tech. We have seen that with uh, with with other companies. I mean, uh, Mark Bristow has always been very open on saying, like, don't don't get scared in difficult times. You have to, you know, continue to execute your plan. If you're going to change your plan in a, in in moments of, uh, of of difficulties, then that's when things go sideways. If you have a plan that you have evaluated in a different moment, in a moment of strength, that has to support you in the moments of of the weakness of the markets. And that's what we're doing now. We are we're continuing to execute. Of course, if there are things that has to be addressed and improved, you will do it. But this is the time where we have to execute on a plan. Okay, continuing along the same thing. O three. Third project for Cisco. You are, I guess, slightly, slightly um, tarnished by the reputation that a Cisco, you know, le- legacy issues from from a Cisco decision making of the past, which I think people want to hear from you that you're making decisions. You're not going to make the decision that some of the decision making um, that you know Cisco made uh, in the past. You're you're not going to be affected by. Um, or influenced by them. Um, can you say that to the market in all, all honesty? Well, I, I think that I am the CEO for O3 Mining and I am blessed in a sense for being part of a group that has been extremely successful, that has been able to take a mine from exploration to production and to sell it. Uh, so they did not hang into that and they gave back a lot of uh, value to shareholders. And uh, arguably or or not, I mean, I think that the Osisco group of companies has been able to return a lot of money to to investors. Uh, there might be someone that that disagree, um, and I think that what I can say to the market is that me as Jose Izquierda has a very clear idea of what we want to do with O3 and a clear strategy. And uh, there will be investors that will agree with this strategy and therefore will invest, and there will be others that will not agree, and then we'll find uh, other opportunities. We we believe, and our strategy is very simple. We've, we have fundamental value in this company. We have a clear plan of what we intend to do with this company. We need to be patient, and we will return value to our shareholders in a very big way. Okay, that, that, that sounds a bit generic to me. I want to know, so we have fundamental value is, is what? It's your flagship project, which you are taking on a path through to production. Is that is that is that all no, it is? Not even that. Not even that. We start we can start below. We have right now, first of all, money has already been spent, some cost of around hundred million dollars in a company that is worth $150 million. You want to forget about that? Okay, let's forget about that. 
we have cash for $140 million for a company that's worth $150 million. You want to forget that? Okay, let's forget about that. We have Kevish, a project that by putting it together with Moneta Porcupine could have in the order of 10 to 12 million ounces by the end of the year and could end up being a billion dollar company in the next two years. We have a third of that. That's $300 million valuation without even starting to talk about our projects. Then you have Marvin, $423 million at a $1,450 per ounce, 5% discount rate. You don't want to use that. You want to use 10% discount rate, go for it. You still have a project that is giving you over 20% IRR. You don't want to use that. Leave it as an exploration story. That's $150 million one way or another. You have Alf, which is south from El Dorado. As soon as we have one single hit in Omega, that could be the next Sigma Lamar. But at the same time, we have a project such as Bulldog, which can produce a couple hundred thousand ounces from there, and we have SimCard. So now you have a very nice pyramid where we have a lot of fundamental value in the bottom and where we keep growing things towards the most important part of that, which is production. So this is a company built on fundamental value. I mean, whomever investing here will not see value destruction. And, uh, and that is a very important point that we've seen here. What is the worst thing that could happen to this company? That we get to the lowest part of our, our life, to the lowest part, and that someone comes and say, like, this is just too cheap. We're going to take you over. And our investors will not lose money anyways. So... I rather don't focus on the downside because it almost seems that I'm talking only on the downside. I really want you to understand that there is a lot of upside here. We have a project that Agnico wanted to buy for $25 million and we bought it for 35. And I think that project is worth $100 million. That's Alpha with a lot of exploration story there. We have Marvin with fundamental value and a lot of potential to grow. We have not even spoke about what do we have around Camflow, which used to be the first mine that Barry Gold had. And, uh, and we have potential for underground potential in the same direction where Kina is. You like high grade, you would love Camflow. Do you like high grade? We have high grade. You like low grade? We have low grade. You want fundamental value? We have fundamental value. Do we need cash? We don't need cash. What we need is the support of the market to help us to, to get our investors to understand that we have a great project here in hands. Well, you've got seven analysts who agree with you. I think the average uh, price they're targeting is well over five bucks. You're whatever two. What are you at the moment? About two, two thirty. Yeah, about two thirty-two, two thirty-five. That sort of number. So the institutional guys get it, but they don't trade much. You need retail. Yep. You need retail in this story, right? Um, and you got to get people. You got to get retail excited about it. I think the way you laid it out is quite interesting for me. I wonder if, if the market's going to react to that kind of approach of uh, valuing each of those components. Have you been through a process of just trying to understand what each of those things is, is really worth on a fundamentals basis? Yeah, yeah, we have we ha we do that every month uh, on on internally because I it's very difficult to tell the market what you have if you don't know yourself what it's worth. So it is, it is very important for us to go through this process. Okay, where we are, what are we really worth? Why, why, why am I gonna go and tell the market, go and buy my stock if, if I don't buy it? Well, I keep buying, um, I, get, I, I, I get any extra money and I invested in here. This is, this is 
this is my future. This is our glory. This is our opportunity. We are creating a brand here. We have the right team. We are in the right jurisdiction. You know, we, we tend to forget about this, but we are in Valdor, man. Like, you know, 40 million ounces of gold has been produced there. There is a mine every other kilometer. There has been mines extending up to three kilometers. There's mine, mines being found every every decade. There is a mine being found. When, when no one believed in Malartic, Malartic came in and Malartic has already produced from one single mine 13 million ounces of gold and they kept finding gold. And when they believed that everything was over, they found this Goldie. And now his Goldie has another 7 million ounces of gold. And when everything was was over, El Dorado came in with a new discovery around them. So this is an area that it is extremely well endowed. And the market needs to understand that you find elephants in an area of elephants. And more important, these type of deposits, the low gold deposits in the Archean belts, which are not that many, there are many in Canada, there are some in Australia, are one of the most profitable greenstone belts in the world. I mean, Red Lake has produced more than 50 million ounces from their, 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 their greenstone belt. Kemblo has produced more than probably 30 million ounces. If we sum up Valdor and Timmins, because jurisdiction doesn't matter in geology, you're talking about over 70 million ounces of gold of, of in the area. So I, I feel really positive, not only on what we have, but what we will find. I'm, I'm sure that before we finish our 24 months that we have been talking about for the last six, so we still have 18 more months, we will we will come up with a discovery. I, yeah, I mean, we, we want to actually, um, actually wouldn't mind talking to you separately about Valdor because there's a few companies we've been speaking to, you know, in wider Quebec, but also in, in Valdor, and it, it seems a very strong story. But I don't think one that people understand, I, you know, I certainly don't, really kind of get the, the the history i get some of the numbers you've just thrown at me but i'd like to know more about doing business there um can we just talk about the market a little bit a, a, again obviously we we've seen this obviously movement in the last in the last two weeks what's 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 your take on what's happening here because I'm, i i can listen to economists argue both sides of the case right there's been a lot of money printed surely that's a good thing for gold well the market has been changing and, and the printing, I think, has been different. Um, when we see the Great Depression in the 30s, money was printed as well during the Hoover times. Uh, but money was not going to stocks. Uh, the stock market was not as sophisticated as it is right now. Our younger generations, uh, and I feel I'm young, but I mean younger than me, now they are investing. And uh, and a lot of money, if we see even what happened in the, in the early 60s, uh, or 70s in Japan, there was a lot of stimulus being given and uh, and Japan was not investing the money. They were saving the money and therefore created deflation. Same thing in the States happened the country right now. A lot of uh, subsidies were given and people are spending the money. And some people are investing the money. And that's why it, it explains part of the rise, the raise that we saw post-COVID in a lot of the tech uh, business. And we saw a lot of this money going into crypto, into cryptocurrency, into the Bitcoins, the, the Ethereum, and, and all this. And, uh, and, and of course, the subsidies are going to stop. Once they stop, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to, to this money, if this money is being taken out of the, of the table. And maybe that was part of it. Um, 
And I think that in the case of gold in particular, gold comes down every time that the economy shows that there is some sort of a reactivation of, uh, of the economy. So, you know, as soon as the interest rates goes up, you know, sort of gold start to have, a, have some fun, goes down, and, and, and then we see a reaccommodation of things. Um, so I certainly believe that with, in the next couple of months, we will certainly see a reshuffling of the money, of the different subsidies. People will have to pay back the debt. Uh, there is no free lunch. I mean, the, 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 that is very clear. There is no free lunch. There will be adjustments. Uh, the Fed will try to do the best they can. And believe me, we, we want for the better of the world that the, the damage that will be created is not as bad because we don't want to see people suffering. But it will happen. Uh, and advertently, we'll, that will happen and gold will go up uh, one way or another. People talk about gold being at 3,000 bucks or they're talking about gold being at 10,000 bucks. Uh, I certainly believe that if you cannot make money at 1,800 bucks, uh, you should be out of this industry. So I think our job as mining guys is not to focus on where gold will be, but to be as productive as possible and maintaining our costs down. So if we cannot produce at less than 850 bucks, then we should be out of the market. Why do we love Marvin? Because we can produce at 822 bucks. Um, and that's it. I mean, the, the, the rest is upside. What, what happens with gold is upside. But certainly, once there is this reaccommodation of the different pieces, I am pretty sure that we will see a very nice run in gold. You took the words right out of my mouth. If you're not making gold at 1800 bucks, you shouldn't be in mining. It's, it's a good price. It's a good price. Um, if it gets higher, all good. Um, just, okay, just, just leave me with, with, with this thought, right? So you, you're in execution mode, right? That's, that's what you've got to do now. You've just got to deliver a sequence, a series of baby steps, um, which kind of lead you to the point where you can get into production by 2026. So, um, what are we looking at for, for the rest of this year? I get the lots of drilling bit, but what big moments are there? Because I tell you the problem I, I, I have with mining generally is when you're, you move from 2 million ounces to 2.5 million ounces. It, I know it's significant, but it doesn't sound like much has changed. And you're going to go through a drilling process for the next few years of I'm going to go to 2.5. I'm talking M&I. I'm going to get myself to 2 million, 2.5, 3, whatever. At what point does it become interesting to majors? At what point does it become too too much uh, work on the resources? You know, at what point do you stop spending money? You know, what's the strategy for just timing timing it right uh, for the market in terms of spending just enough money, no more, no less, just enough money to get you um, to a point where you can get into production, the economics, you understand the economics, or make yourself tied up on a pretty bow, attractive to someone to come and take you out? Well, as, as I cannot control the, uh, the the gold price, I cannot control when the majors want to take advantage of, uh, of a company like us. No, but they do. They, they, uh, you can, though, because the majors come in, I need 5 million ounces. The, the people go, right, I need 5 million ounces to be interesting to me. So do you work your way up to that point? And some people have done that, and they've worked themselves beyond up to 8 million because no one stepped in at yeah. that point, right? Or... If you're determined to get into production, you say, do you know what? 
I get it to three million. That's more than enough, and we will just do everything around that. We'll we'll do our numbers around that because we know there's expiration upside. How do you come at it? Well, we, we we're doing that. No, we are essentially saying we already have 2.5 million ounces. This gives us an NPV of 423 million dollars. So really, doesn't matter on adding ounces right now. Every single ounce that we add is really to improve what we already have. But we're moving forward from the from the $423 million net present value with 2.5 million ounces. We could decide that we want to build this and make it look like 5 million ounces. Yeah, that's going to take me five years and probably take me to 2032 to put it into production. I'd rather put it into production by 2026 and use that free cash flow to keep growing. So what we are... Pro, pro, really providing here to our own shareholders is, listen, we're putting this into production with a 2.5. We're moving from pre-fees to fees to production. In the meantime, we're still drilling. So we can improve and modify things as we go to improve the engineering. So if the pit was like this, and we now can have it a little bit bigger and allow us to have better strip ratios, we will do that. If if we can show them that there is an underground potential, so then after we work with the pits, we're working on the underground potential, that will happen. So those things are the things that you're going to see. You're going to see a project that used to be 2.5, and maybe in the next uh, two years, you suddenly see, oh, wow, like now it's, uh, it seems that they're going to produce more. Well, great. And then we're trying to look for discoveries. Where are we doing that? On the western side of Marban. And we're looking for discoveries in Alpha. We are, we're working in four different areas where we're attacking at the same time. So what we are really doing is providing you the certainty on fundamental value by having Marban well executed while we look to increase resources in Alpha. In the area of Bulldog, for example, we don't have right now and inferred resources, but we will have it for next year. So that will be an inferred resource in a new area. And by the way, we have a mer- a mill that we can buy at any time for $5 million. So that was already executed in 2020. So I was part of the, tr- the strategic plan. And we're going to continue to work in SimCar. If you see SimCar, it's one of those projects that you can see where the old resource was for 60,000 ounces. And then you can see the drilling that we have done. And we, you can start thinking about different things. I mean, uh, it's just a matter of start looking at the maps and you would, uh, you don't need to be a geologist to immediately realize ah, there is, these guys actually are into something interesting. So I think we're attacking uh, every single artist uh, that, that we should. And what will be our very big price in the ne- next 18 months? Well, if we can demonstrate that we truly have a discovery and then it's a different game. Because then it doesn't matter what Marlon can do on the fundamental basis. It's where the dream will be to the five or ten million ounces that you were that you were referring. You need to know what you're looking for. And Marvan is not a project that can give you five million ounces by drilling in one year or a year and a half. That's not gonna happen with Marvan. Marvan is a project that will give you free cash flow. The the five million ounces or ten million ounces has to come from all, some of our other projects. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.